Recording live from Boulder, Colorado on August 27th, 2017, it's Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. It's a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt discuss science, history, sports, culture. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. I'm your host, Ray Agustinelli, and I'm here with two close friends, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, the greatest of all sinners. Good morning, Jeff. Great morning to you. Great, not just good, great morning. I want that to be my thing. Yes. I want the people to say that, uh, that I, I started that. <laughs> well, let it be so. A new, newly yeah. Paul, great morning to you as well. Great morning, Ray. Great morning, Jeff. On this, our first uh, podcast after the eclipse on Monday. It is. Maybe we'll even touch on the eclipse at some point. Did you guys see the eclipse? Let's touch on it now. Did you guys see the Jeff, eclipse? I did. Whoa, I did. I, I felt. I really let my family down, which is uh, a regular occurrence for me. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so to not see totality. So my son, who's kind of an introvert and he's not terribly adventurous and this and that he packs up with his buddies yeah no reservations yeah late in the game yeah and they go to yosemite or something like that yeah. or yellowstone yeah. probably yeah somebody mm-hmm. be the wrong direction yeah and and he saw the totality and everything Good like that him. i'm stuck here i did have a jury trial on monday and tuesday but it yeah. got dismissed late uh-huh. and so we went over to the art hotel on the deck, got our glasses, mm-hmm. kind of scrounged them, and yeah. watched it together. Streetlights came on, yeah. and the, the shadows were funky. So I had an absolute blast, but I am seeking another opportunity for totality mm-hmm. with the fam. <laughs> well, 2024 20, uh, in Austin, I believe, is going to be your next chance. Done. All right. Book your flight now. <laughs> I, I similarly pulled a personal letdown, I think, Jeff. I had planned to drive up to Wyoming <laughs> and see the totality. And, and the day before, I decided not to go. And then subsequently talked to several three friends, close friends, who did go up to see the totality. And together with two others who hadn't done that, we had a conversation and a sharing. And I flashed back to the 60s when I didn't exist, when, when <laughs> <laughs> Jimi Hendrix comes out with Are You Experienced? Yeah. And it's like, you know, have you had these experiences yeah. versus you haven't? And it was three of us who had, hadn't <laughs> seen the totality, three of us who had, uh-huh. and the divide was quite dramatic. But uh, I did enjoy the 93% we had here in Boulder. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was very profound and sacred, actually. Right. It was. And, and I will make a point to see totality next time in seven years. Nice. Yeah. Right. Well, let's go, man. Let's 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 have a road trip. Let's do. Let's do it. Let's book book our book our road trip now. Okay. Good. So here's how I think of the podcast. Okay, and and, and there's a point to this. Okay, so don't look at me like that. So the three of us. It's kind of the three of us arm in arm, stitching the fabric of our great republic back together. But it's the three of us, Ray. Yeah, and so your is. intro is good, yeah. but I, I want you to maybe rethink it because it's like two dudes through the blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. What happened to the guy who's the ringleader of the whole thing? Yeah. Our skeptical but loving buddy, mm-hmm. Ray. I'd have to say two men of great faith and one of somewhat moderate faith or something like that. It would just get a little wordy, okay. I think, if okay. I would have to get into my skeptical hey, underpinnings. I trust you. I've just yeah. I wanted to put it out there. Yeah. So now okay. um, I feel a little insecure about the I love you guys thing at the end of our podcast. I want to talk it out a little bit here because I genuinely adore the both of you. Um, love you so much. And I understand that this relationship is a lot like the Julia Roberts, Lyle Lovett marriage, <laughs> where uh, you guys are Julia Roberts and I'm Lyle I was wondering Lovett. which way that was going to go. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. We all know which direction that one is going. And so I would, I love it. It's great if you can genuinely feel that and say that. I don't want you to feel the pressure. I know how lucky I am just to be 
sleeping with you guys. <laughs> Metaphor, <laughs> maybe that's too long. Metaphor, the hour took it all too long. So, um, but you know, do what you want. This is a, yeah. a this is a, a podcast of integrity, yeah. and so an intentionality. Do what you guys need to do. So, want to ask both of you. And maybe I can, so, you know, I'm always looking to find out more about the Augustinelli brothers, Ray and Paul. And your names, you know, I was thinking Paul, it's oftentimes a religious sort of thing going behind that. Ray, I, I didn't know where that was coming from. Names can be so important. I wanted to know if there were any stories, and I kind of ambushed you about this earlier, about your name. You did ambush us, and as it turns out, my name does come from, as it turns out, a man of great faith. I was named after... Um, a very close friend of my parents named Ray Vitality, Vitali, and he was an, an early paramour of my mother's Whoa. before she uh, got together with my father and subsequently had us. So I was wow. named after Ray, and he uh, went into the seminary, became a Catholic priest. He goes by a different name now, Father Theodore at uh, SLU, St. Louis University, where he's the chairman of the uh, philosophy department there. Whoa. So that's my first name, and my middle name comes from my maternal grandfather. So within the family, we have a little bit of faith and a little bit of family. Which is not unusual for what's, Italian American families on the East Coast. What's the middle name? It's Lewis. Ray Lewis. <laughs> Paul, you also have some stories. Faith and family in mine as well. Paul comes from Pope Paul VI, born into a Catholic family, born a Buddhist into a Catholic family, is what I always say. Um, but Pope Paul VI was apparently impaneled or whatever the Pope's do to get in uh in june of 63 i was born in september of 63 so i guess they were honoring that is where the paul comes from my middle name is guido after my paternal grandfather raised after our maternal grandfather who was also guido my dad's middle name is guido and my buddhist name to bring it full circle is Guido, which is based on guido my 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 uh, given middle name i think you would make a spectacular pope <laughs> I really do. I know it'd be I, weird. I know it'd be a little, be a little hard. Bit odd at but this seriously, point. Uh -huh. it might just maybe you six months where you get to kind of get in there, uh -huh. rub elbows with people, do what you can, wear yeah. a hat. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not into the hat. I can, I can, I can do the robes. I don't think I can handle that. Let's hat. smuggle him into the, the family of cardinals with a red robe at with the appropriate moment and right. see if we can get some black smoke coming from the window. I'm just saying, <laughs> don't 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 give up on the hat now. Just don't make the decision now. Give Wait till you're chance. There. Right, right. And so um, my name is, yeah. uh, is you think would be uh, something that I could find out, but it turns out to be uh, contradictory and inscrutable in my family. Mm -hmm. um, there's stories that don't seem to make any sense. There's talk about great actors uh -huh. at the time, which mm -hmm. at the time was, was uh, the name that was given to me was Jeff Bridges, yes. who has... Just done a spectacular job at the end of his career, but at mm -hmm. the beginning of the career, what are we talking about? King Kong? I mean, <laughs> yeah. what are we talking about? Which is entertaining. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm well, not diminishing it, but yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, I could mm -hmm. have been named after a better actor. <laughs> um, and one that actually spelled the name the same. My yeah. name is spelled J E F F E R Y, Jeff Uri, not Jeff Uri. Right, right, yeah. And uh, it, which has made a lifetime of mistakes on paperwork and that sort of thing, but yeah. kind of interesting. But so I'm, I'm a little bit troubled. I feel like, you know, I'd like to know the real story because my mm -hmm. parents won't give it to me. Yeah. No mm -hmm. faith, mm -hmm. no religiosity, nothing in there whatsoever. Just probably a bearded guy in King Kong. 
<laughs> but perhaps the mystery serves you better, not knowing. Perhaps oh, there's some I power like that. in that. I like that. I'm going to leave it at that. So I uh, do want to ambush you here with a um, with a prop, which works great on a broadca- uh, podcast, by the way. And that is is that I just purchased, thinking of my dear friends, and in the liquor store. I spent a lot of time in liquor stores. Uh, thinking of you guys, actually. Um, and uh, I don't. I, don't I think of you guys, but not in liquor stores. Yeah, I don't see that trying out in a way that reflects well on any of us. So. Okay. Well, that's yeah. kind of my yeah. raison d'etre on this <laughs> podcast. And it is it is Lucky Buddha Ooh, Oh, beer, look at that. Look at that. Which I'm holding uh, a green, chubby Buddha in the form of a bottle, which I thought was a pretty respectable lager. A lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I was luckier afterwards. Um, it just so much. I, I love it. And, but I am interested uh-huh. to, to hear what Buddha would say about it. Uh-huh. And then maybe I'll riff a little bit on Lucky Jesus beer or something uh-huh. like that. So I, to talk to us. I guess I'm called upon to, to speak for Buddha. I love this bottle, Jeff. <laughs> this is awesome. I love it as much as the one I have in my bathroom. Wow. Which I no bought in Las Vegas because I saw this in Buddha embossed. This is a Hotai Buddha is what it's called. It's the Laughing Buddha. It's the Fat Buddha. Um, on on the cover, I, I I got it, I drank it, and then I brought it back home from Las Vegas because I hadn't seen it around here, and I use it as a vase in in my bathroom. So I, I I like this very much. It was a decent lager. It's a it's a decent lager, and thanks for the gift. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. So lucky Jesus beer. Lucky Jesus. Um, you know we uh, in, in, in it seems like in Christian circles we're holding on a little bit tighter to the visage, the the pictures, uh, the way we think of, mm-hmm. of Jesus, which I think is unfortunate in some ways, mm-hmm. because it's such a it's such a wonderful, lovely, happy vision created by that bottle, and um, and oh, you know what? I wanted you to uh, I want to ask you a little bit about alcohol as well, because mm-hmm. on, on the Christian side we've always had a bit of a conflicted uh, vibe on the whole thing, which never made a whole lot of sense to me because um, the first. Uh, First miracle is turning water into wine at a wedding. It was not non-alcoholic wine, people, according to what <laughs> wine right. was. You know, words meant yeah, it, yeah. so. And and Jesus likely in that part of the world had wine with most meals to augment water or in place of water or because they wouldn't have water that would be safe and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more to a you know don't drink unto drunkenness and uh, try to keep your wits about you as much as you can and, and that alcohol I think they had some wisdom in the fact that it would lower inhibitions and do things maybe you didn't want to do but um, I would love it maybe not uh, maybe uh, some kind of um, arms raised towards heaven or outstretched arms I'm not sure we can make it work on the bottle but you know we can riff on it a little bit think about it I, I'm all for Lucky Jesus beer I think it's spectacular I, I love it I, I love it I think maybe crucifixion cognac is maybe going too far Yeah, but the outstretched arms it's not gonna work. I'm going water into wine wine <laughs> like that there we go it's really good Buddhism, Buddhism. alcohol we have a precept against overindulging in intoxicants, and the letter of the law monk types in Southeast Asia won't touch any intoxicant. The spirit of the law, Mahayana uh, form of Buddhism, will tend to uh, engage uh, with a sensitivity towards the context, time, and place, and things like this. Um, so, you know, not necessarily a black or white right thing, but the, the Zen interpretation by one Zen teacher, which I really like, 
he says, you're already intoxicated. Why add to the problem? <laughs> is the way this particular teacher expressed it, meaning that we're kind of deluded with our over-intellectual, conceptual mind already. We're sort of fundamentally deluded in the way that we see and we don't see our true selves. So why add to the confusion with some, with some additional intoxicants? And so what do you, what do you uh, in Buddhism, what do you call it? What are you diminishing? What, what do you want to have uh, clarity of your wisdom eye wisdom. is what you're you're trying to to increase, and intoxicants can potentially diminish that. I resonate to the message of being intoxicated all the time more than having a wisdom eye. I love that. I'd like to. What about you, tough guy? Or what about me? And, and, and <laughs> from a skeptic's point of view, what do you think about alcohol? I'd like you to pass the bottle over. I'm going to crack it. We're going to drink it for the rest of this podcast. Done. That's what I'm saying. That's it. That's all I got before the meat of our show. The meat is coming right down the middle of the pike right here, guys. I've got three topics to put by you. I would love to get your thoughts on number one, the Unabomber. Number two, presidential pardons. And number three, the fight of the century that occurred last night. Okay, but first things first. Whoa. The Unabomber. Sure. We try to keep this lighthearted. This is going to be sure. difficult to do because the man was a serial killer. It's been 20 years since his arrest. His atrocious serial killing was performed in the warped service of this alarmism about technology that many now share. Was he onto something, guys? Was he a sort of Darth Vaderish, dark side of the force guy? You can argue for the guy's evil, but not for his irrelevance. Give me your thoughts on the Unabomber, Jeff. So, you know, I, I think of the Unabomber. I mean, so when we talk about what he might have been right about. Um, he's right about some things like a broken clock is right twice a day. Yes. I that, love that saying, by the way. In, in that, um, you know, I think that there is some wisdom in being very careful about technology. And, and is it, it's, I mean, you know, I think it's a tool. And so a tool can be used in a way that's going to cause harm and is difficult and can hurt us and can help us. Um, I think that he, uh, I think that Elon Musk will uh, appreciate being compared to the Unabomber by me. In that, you know, Elon Musk is is concerned about technology. He, is, uh, yeah. he loves yeah. technology, but he also uh, particularly um, believes that uh, that um, that I think that he recently said that um, the worry about artificial intelligence was more significant than the yeah. worry of mm -hmm. nuclear war. Mm -hmm. Is that is that was that what you were reading? Also, that and wasn't he the one who recently said we're sort of living in a holograms type of thing? Could be. Was, was right. he, yeah, that's he, yeah. that would be fun to talk about right. some one time because he believes that it's more, maybe more likely than yeah. not mm -hmm. that we're actually not right. here in yeah. some kind of Sartre so, yeah. existentialist. Absolutely. So maybe mm -hmm. Elon Musk is much loonier than mm -hmm. we really. <laughs> I, we should get into that because. I'm a big fan of his, but you make him sound pretty crazy. Yeah. So, speaking of crazy, Unabomber, I think that I think you've got some wisdom. He was a very bright guy, maybe yeah. a genius. Harvard educated, um, yeah. And, uh, and so many great things, thoughts, and ideas with just a dollop of murder. <laughs> there is the murder. Just yeah. a little cherry yeah. on top. Poison yeah. cherry. Lunacy and murder yeah. at the top. Paul, what do you think about the Unabomber? I, I like the metaphor of the broken clock that's right twice a, twice a day. Unfortunately, this one is strapped to a, to a massive explosive <laughs> that's going to go off. He, I, I have a personal resonance and, uh, with the Unabomber and kind of a creepy one, which you guys might remember. It was back about 18, 19 years ago when I went to a Halloween 
Halloween party, a costume party. You guys were both there, by the way. Was Todd, Todd Gibson's house. Mm-hmm. And I can't I, unremember it. I know. <laughs> and I don't remember what you went as, Jeff, but I went as the Unabomber. And, you know, number one, easy costume, right? Hoodie, sunglasses, maybe a little ash in your face and you're done. And that was my prime directive back then. So I uh, went there. And I have to say, I creeped other people out. They didn't want to talk to me. And I kind of creeped myself out, too, because there is and was something to his message that kind of you know rang true and at the same time you see how taken to an extreme it can be this horrible toxin uh on society and you can kind of see that strain within yourself as well um one summary of of his beliefs that i kind of resonated with was stating that technology has had a destabilizing effect on society it's made life unfulfilling caused widespread psychological suffering argues that because of technological advances, most people spend their time engaged in useless pursuits, wow. which he calls surrogate activities, where people strive towards artificial goals. And this is seems like a good description of a lot of what we're doing now, mm-hmm. and a lot of psychological kind of epidemic of uh, psychological disturbance and, and dysfunction. So I think he kind of was onto something, unfortunately, you know, took it down a very, a very dire path. Very dire path. Well, uh, You're a fan, though. So it, no, 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 no. I, as I'm not a fan of uh, Darth Vader, and that was the analogy I was making. Uh, I can't say that I'm a fan of the Unabomber, but I think there's some resonance there, and it's, it's he's uh, unfortunately demanding of attention, if not worthy of it. Um, so the president pardoned Sheriff Joe Arpaio this week. Uh, Joe Arpaio is the Arizona sheriff who was. Uh, convicted of a contempt of court for uh, unconstitutionally profiling uh, uh, folks in Arizona in an anti-illegal immigration maneuvers. Now, putting aside the merits of this particular case, where do do we stand on presidential pardons? I'm curious to get your guys' view. Should presidents or anyone, for that matter, have a stack of -of get-out-of-jail-free cards or you don't have to go to jail at all cards? Did the founders get that one wrong? I'm particularly interested in your view, Jeff, because I know you have a lot of sensitivity around um, exec- the, the executive power and executive abuses, but let's start with Dr. Zen over here with uh, presidential pardons. Sure. Uh, well, I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not a uh, and I'm not really a sophisticated political thinker. And Jeff is and is and is. <laughs> wow. So I'm, gonna, oh, I'm, wow. I'm just going to give you my impression, <laughs> then I'll set this one up for Jeff to kind of knock it out of the park. But um, you know, from my perspective. Pardons seem to be a really valuable way for us to see what a president really values. It seems like they can be abused, but there's probably corrective mechanisms to kick into place if they are abused and systematically abused. But they're very valuable to uh, see exactly what, into the soul, if you will, of a president, what they value. Ford pardoned Nixon. I think there was a, a genuinely valuable intention for national reconciliation and healing behind that pardon. Clinton pardoned Mark Rich, a value of protection of his cronies around that. Uh, George Bush pardoned Casper Weinberger. You know, there was something of an intention of moving on from the scandal and the divisiveness of the Iran-Contra period and perhaps some self uh, self-protection involved in that part in as well. And Trump, you know, he's showing his cards and he's showing his values once to, once again. He's, in my understanding, he's actually using his constitutional power to part in in order to block a federal judge's effort to enforce the Constitution in what he's doing with Arpaio. So uh, I think Trump's uh, colors and true feathers are, are, are coming out in regard here. And uh, there we go. 
So, you know, um, actually, you're looking at Article 2, Section 2 of the United States Constitution, and the, the relevant passage says that the president shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for def- uh, offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. And you guys know that the Founding Fathers made no mistake, founders no. of our country, were no mistakes of any no. kind. No. Uh, and, and I think that the pardon in itself, um, you mentioned... Uh, Ford's pardon of Nixon, which was enormously important for this republic. I think it's a great, maybe the perfect example of a pardon that's well done. And yet we know of many examples where it's crass or petty or political or some other beneficial to the president. Um, in, in this case, um, I, I do think that it probably reflects on Trump and, and not in a, a way that he would probably, well, he'd probably be just fine with it because I think Trump is making... Uh, essentially saying that, hey, I like law and order, sometimes even when it impinges upon some individual liberties in this and that, whereas most of us are like, we don't want that. That's a bad thing. Um, and so um, I think that the it was a case where um, Sheriff Joe was not going to do a lot of time in jail either way. Um, it was not the crime of the century, but it was a crime. And more importantly, a contempt of court, which is a, is a great way to find yourself in jail, is to flip off a judge and say, I know you had an order, but I'm not going to obey your order. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the pardon in itself is um, uh, probably an inherently good component of our checks and balances and that sort of thing, but certainly can be misused. And if it's misused enough, we can kick that bum out of office. There you go. What about you? I uh, don't have deep thoughts about it. Uh, that's why I asked you guys. I really <laughs> wanted to get your opinion okay. on it. I'm a fan. I think <laughs> as a married man, I guess I would like the fact to have sort of a set of get out of jail free cards well, that can be distributed. <laughs> that's where the, from partner to partner. It didn't be like one person would have it. I think the other, oh, every both wow. partners should have that ability to sort of let the other guy off the hook a little bit. Because I think it it, it 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 helps in relationships and maybe to your point about the Nixon thing. Yeah, you helps could, you could appeal for helps to heal. appeal for clemency. Yeah, sort of an institutional forgiveness in a Play way. Play mercy sort of formalized. card. I don't, yeah, something it's like love that. It. It's love fantastic. It. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. yeah. That's all I got. Let's talk about the, the fight of the century until, wow. until next year, the, the year after. It's the Mayweather-McGregor fight that went down last night. The 49-0 boxing um, genius, I think you can say, some call him the best boxer of all time, against the uh, one of the better MMA fighters, Conor McGregor. Um, odds heavily in Mayweather's fa- favor. Um, tell me uh, if you guys saw the fight. I know you did, Jeff. I think you followed it online, Paul. What were your what were your expectations, even if you made a prediction going into the fight, and were they met or not? What do you think about it? Does it say anything about boxing? Does it say anything about humanity? Fight of the century. Yes. Wow. <laughs> um, so, you know, my thought on it, first of all, my prediction was Mayweather early, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it would be by decision and not knockout, mm-hmm. uh, because he's not a knockout guy mm-hmm. traditionally in his uh, career. Um, and, and McGregor's used to people trying to hurt him very, very badly, and mm-hmm. I thought he'd be defensive enough to keep himself out of that kind of trouble. And then, I, But I also said I would have uh, bet some money on McGregor. 
mm. uh, because mm. of the uh, great odds in his. Um, and, and you know, it's fun to bet on a fight and have a rooting interest and this and that. They're both flawed people. Um, I think McGregor perhaps uh, more obviously flawed than even Connor. Um, and so it was tough to find a, a good person, a good guy to, to vote for. But it was compelling in a way that boxing has not been compelling in a long time. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know, maybe in our generation. I mean, um, so, you know, I like boxing a little bit more than I like golf, which is not <laughs> great for either. Yeah. But occasionally, But occasionally there's something that kind of bubbles up out of the zeitgeist that, uh-huh. that is yeah. interesting and, and the last fight, the only pay-per-view fight I ever wound up going to a bar for was uh, Tyson Holyfield 2, mm-hmm. where he bit his ear well, and that sort of thing. And, yes. uh, and I found that enormously entertaining. It was, it was <laughs> partially entertaining just because of the communal aspect of it. There's a bunch of strangers in a room and they're all, there's a fight going on which gets our, you know, it arouses passions in us and it taps into our reptile brain, I think, in very powerful ways. There's something very compelling about and very visceral about two men in combat alone against each other and so i i was interested in the fight my wife is out of town which normally means i get to walk around in my underwear turn down the uh the thermostat a couple of uh-huh. notches yeah i have to turn it up before she gets back because she's in charge of the thermostat but okay. i run it when, when i'm at home <laughs> yeah, indeed, i yes. run my household awesome Do you understand power. that i understand and it, you know yes. make steaks and just yeah. Eat garbage That's and go right. to bed early. That's how I roll. <laughs> and so when Tommy was gone, um, I decided kind of at the last minute to go to the View House down in Denver. <clears throat> Big multi-floor bar with an open area where they had a giant television set up. It's seven o'clock. Okay, and I'm I'm rushing to get there because I'm a little I'm a little punctuality crazy anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, getting there thinking I'm going to miss the entire fight <laughs> if it starts at seven. Mm-hmm. It could be over that quick. Mm-hmm. Instead, I stumble in. Everyone is there except the fighters who don't come on till another four hours. And and, uh, <laughs> yes. and so you know I uh, my prediction um, the complete route uh, and and what didn't happen. You know, I thought That's it was an right, incredibly yeah. compelling fight, but I was terrified <laughs> in a way that I had no... It, I, I, I was not aware of this of myself at all. When Conor McGregor started, when they dropped their gloves and they ding, 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 I had a terror for Conor. I thought he could get hurt or that he mm-hmm. could really... And instead, I thought it was relatively entertaining. Things flipped in the ninth round and certainly the tenth round. In a way that one makes me wonder, was McGregor just that smart all along? Was he just waiting to flip on a switch? Because he looked genuinely frustrated. Mayweather did, yeah. yeah, uh-huh, in, yeah. in the beginning of yeah. that fight. So that was kind of fun. I've got another uh, 70 minutes on this, uh, but maybe I, can, maybe I can bounce it off. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, b- before getting to my uh, to my equally erroneous prediction, um, I'll reflect that the last pay-per-view fight I paid for was also the bite fight, yeah. Tyson nice. Holyfield. Two in 1997, I believe, 20 years ago, yeah. as well from now. And that was, it had that same kind of bloodlust feeling, this kind of Roman Colosseum gladiator fight that would, that would, you know, evoke a reptilian brains and also perform some sort of like sacrificial bloodlust function for, for society. You make it which, sound so dirty. Yeah, well, <laughs> and I did. I watched that fight. That fight went two and a half rounds, right? That was, <laughs> there, I felt, I felt, 
ugly and dirty <laughs> and sick for weeks after that. You know, not only that I paid for it, but that I watched it and that I kind of enjoyed it at some <laughs> level. And I didn't really want to experience that again, so I didn't see the fight. I was thinking it was going to be Mayweather early. I didn't. I thought the skill set that McGregor brought to the table. And Ray and I, we used to be into boxing, the sweet science. We, were, we wrote a screenplay based on a young, young boxer back in the day, 25 years ago or so, and loved to see a good tactical strong, you know, technical fighter, Roy Jones Jr., one of my favorite boxers of all time. Um, but I, I didn't think that McGregor had the skill to, like, make it an interesting bout. Um, and it sounds like maybe it was, but I, I, I thought Mayweather was going to take him apart, and it looks like it went, you know, longer than that and was, was worthwhile to watch. So um, one thing that I wanted to... Uh, one thing that I was thinking of early on is, is I was thinking that this might be one of these fascinating um, watershed moments in sport and everything else. And I don't think it turned out to be that necessarily, but maybe. For, so when I was reminded from the beginning of, uh, I couldn't help thinking of the Tai Chi, vas, uh, tai Chi Master versus MMA video on YouTube. I just stumbled onto this a few months ago. Uh, a Tai Chi Master takes on an MMA fighter and, and uh, the MMA fighter just destroys him in about 10 seconds in a way that's very disturbing. So a mixed martial arts fighter, um, I think it was Zhu Ziadong, and, and you'll have to help me with that. It, it, I should have sent it to you so you could help me. Um, but he had been taunting traditional masters of, the, of Chinese martial arts, <laughs> dismissing them as overly commercialized frauds and put up or shut up and that sort of thing. And so Wei Lei, the a practitioner of the thunder style of Tai Chi, accepts the challenge, and it's, it's tough to watch. Uh, the MMA fighter rushes him. There's a couple of attempts to get him away, knocks him down to the ground, ground and pound, and he's you know a 70 year old man. It's oh. just really tough to watch. And and in China, they're just deeply offended by what they saw as an insult to the cornerstone, well, a cornerstone of traditional Chinese culture. And MMA is is kind of destroying some of these other things that we have with fighting and it just boxing is struggling right now. And you almost had to bring in a bear or someone to to generate because like there are some very good fights coming up. I, I learned from some people at the at the bar that they're excited about other fights. I didn't know any of the fighters' names. I didn't know when the fights were coming up. It's it's a tough it's it's a it's a difficult time for fighting. Mm. And so um, you know I left immediately after. Uh, the fight, which I was the only one leaving. Everyone else was still there. Um, I, I had been standing up for Depeche Mode the night before, uh, <laughs> hence the concert shirt. <laughs> yes. And uh, and then stood up for four hours watching boxing match after boxing match. And, you know, I was just having trouble walking. All of a sudden, I became a 90-year-old, and I'm walking with a peg leg. But I get out to the front of the bar, and there, people are on the sidewalk 10 deep. And they're to the street. Yeah. I mean, you can't pack people any more closely. And they're watching. They're not admitted to the bar. They're not drinking. They're on the street watching the television screens. Wow. And then across the street, which I believe is, is uh, well, it's not Market Street. Anyway, the, the point is, is that it's a standard Denver street. There's a, a crowd 10, 20 yeah, deep on yeah. the other side watching the giant open air screen. Right. So it was a it was a bit of a cultural phenomenon. Right, I think people right. will remember this fight. Yes. I'm not sure it's good for boxing. No. I was mm -hmm. convinced, and you two are going to shoot me down, I learned earlier, that I was convinced there was going to be a rematch. 
because there's so much money on the table. And I think that we saw that it wasn't, well, at least the way that it played out. Maybe the fix was in. Maybe Floyd just toyed with us to give us our money's worth. But there was a fight going on for about six rounds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would pay to see it again. Mm -hmm. So, But you two, you don't buy it. I don't think so. I think Floyd is happy to retire with a 50-0, nice, clean round number record. Um, I think he's banked his multi-millions, hundreds of millions, literally. And um, I think there will, there will be another fight made which pits boxing against MMA. I, I do not doubt that, but I don't think it'll be these two guys. I agree with Ray. So anything else about the, the you said, you know, larger contexts and society? And I think for me, what this says is I think the way the re, the fact that it was so popular, those 10 deep on the street side to me is part of the phenomenon that was witnessed last night. And it spoke to the decreasing popularity of uh, of boxing, the increasing popularity of MMA, particularly against the millennial crowd, and the way that we have been now programmed or instructed as consumers of these battles to not necessarily expect massive upsets, but to to understand that they might happen. And I'm going to flash back to Leicester City winning the Premier League soccer with 500 to 1 odds two seasons ago, and Donald Trump winning the presidency last year. We have come to expect in, in these venues that are as entertaining in some ways as they are life-altering <laughs> to expect that, you know what, something crazy probably won't happen, but you know what, it just okay. might, and I want to be there when it does. Speaking of crazy happening, I'd like to give you some closing thoughts. Please are you do. Ready? We, First, I'm not sure we can say we're ready, but... okay. First up, we often do ask Dr. Zen where um, uh, one of our listeners, our listeners are able to write in or Twitter in yeah, uh-huh. or Instagram in, some mm-hmm. Snapchat in, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and some Slack in. <laughs> um, but they, uh, I don't know how this came to us because our people just send this yeah. to me. I, mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, and it's Clem from Tuscaloosa writes, Dr. Zen, I don't know why they never write to me. It's insulting. It's ugly. But I'm going to get past that because I love Dr. Zen. Clem wants to know, what's the prime difference between men and women? Wow. Thank you so much, Clem, for, for, for the question. You know, it's such a uh, simple and easy question right. that I'll just give it a simple, easy answer. And I'll say that men are about mission and women are about radiance. That wow. is possibly that profound. That I think it is. Yes. Or insipid. One of <laughs> It's there's, profound. There's a fine it's line profound. between profound and insipid. <laughs> Trying to do a spinal tap like voice for there. That's maybe. good. That's good. And maybe that'll be one of our one of our uh, taglines yeah. in the future. <laughs> Exploring the fine line between profundity it, and insipid. Perhaps it's prosipid. Wow. Wow. So uh, I think that one. I think that <laughs> which itself may be prosipid. <laughs> something. Something that it might be the most profound way to show the difference between men and women is that is that when you're walking on a sidewalk. Um, women will point out poop on the sidewalk for the people behind them. True that. Whereas men will very much avoid it, <laughs> Just, but won't necessarily yeah. call it out. But women will call yes. out poop. Human yeah. or, or dog poop yeah. on the sidewalk, women will point it out to everybody. To, to, to everybody. Well, you know, it's kind of announced. I mean, it's, it's like a public service. Like, yeah, seriously, people, service. I just yeah. discovered some that's going to be, and I'm just announcing this. Anyone who's around, you can do with it what you will. Yeah. But yeah. I told you what yeah. just happened. Right. 
So did you guys hear, and, and you know, I think the question is, um, is all of science bunk? Um, and that is that because it's shaken my foundation. Somebody I don't believe anything recently. anymore. <laughs> was that question posed recently? Is all science bunk? I just said it. Oh, they, oh you just posed it. Okay. <laughs> um, did you just hear that the experts who burdened us for decades with mixtures, I'm talking about passwords, of course. Passwords, Let's yes. talk about important stuff <laughs> okay. here. Passwords for computing uh, purposes and that sort of thing. Told us you had to mix letters, digits, symbols, change your passwords every 30, 90 days. Completely wrong. Just completely wrong. Can I, can I eat butter? Can I eat margarine? No one can tell me anything. Does it surprise you how much science sucks at this stuff? <laughs> getting it right, getting it right at all. I'm upset. But it, uh, <laughs> I, I think what does disturb me. <laughs> I don't think science is bunk. What oh, does, dis- what does disturb it. me is that people don't always understand that scientific conclusions and proof in quotes is are based on measurable, observable phenomena. Right. So it, it, it your your conclusion and what you have proved is based on what you have observed and what you have uh, and what you have measured and and you know the scientific method applied to apply to those things accordingly, and what 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 I what I do think is that we give it too much credence because we don't recognize the limitations of the data set we don't li- recognize the limitations of our ability to measure and we don't recognize these other domains that aren't being perhaps you know observed or absorbed and so we tell a story that could be consistent and is consi- consistent relative to the to the existing data set and that's true but it isn't universally true and I do flash back and I'm a student of physics and I loved the way and still love the way that quantum physics is compared to Buddhist philosophy and Eastern philosophy and these overlaps and resonances and correspondence are seen between them I actually think those are very real but I see uh, quantum you know, quantum effects in modern physics, particle physics being described on these like Brian Green like documentaries with these really cool special effects. Like Brian is swinging his laser pointer through this big loaf of bread, which is meant to represent, you know, all of space time. Sure. You know, so it's like it's a static thing and you can da da da. And it's like, this explains how you can go back in time. It's, a, it's like, and then you look at that and you're nodding. You're like, oh, I get it. I get space time. No, you don't. You're looking at a special effect. You know, you're like, you're applying the word gravity to what happens with an apple falling to the earth. And you think you understand it because now you have a word for it. It's that kind of level of description that I think people buy into a story and then they think it explains everything. When baked into the story is a certain level of mystery and a certain level of limitation that people don't always appreciate. So it's science is not bunk. Occasionally scientists are bunklicious. They're a little bit yes. bunky. Yes. And, and we, you know, I, I love a scientist that can say, I was wrong. And, you know, I kind of like, I loved it about this because I don't believe that science is bunk. And the interview with the guy, he's just like terribly apologetic. He's wonderful. He's all like, I screwed up. I'm a smart guy. <laughs> I, I changed my mind. I, we did our best. You know, at the, time, at the time, it made a lot of sense. It doesn't anymore. Instead, string together four words that mean something to you. And talk, come back to us in 20 years. And maybe that would serve everybody is every time science appears, a little asterisk that says, just reminds everybody, there's a little bit of bunk baked into it. <laughs> so we know. And speaking about utter crap, let's talk about Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. 
Oh, please. Who we love to hate here. Famous, amazing, well-respected, best-selling author and podcaster. But Malcolm Gladwell, and I'm talking about his most recent podcast, which was uh, on a McDonald's fries, which I, I, I'm fascinated. I love McDonald's fries. It was called McDonald's Broke My Heart. But Malcolm Gladwell is like one of the great modern clever detectives uh, from, a, say, an Agatha Christie novel or that sort of thing. And he's dressed up in a tuxedo or something and everyone's sitting around in period costumes. And he goes around the table and he puts together brilliant deductions and, and, and twists and turns and says, could this person have done it? Could that person have done it? And they're all, their hearts are pounding deep within their chest. And he it puts this palace of reason and beauty together and at the end says that the dead person did it. <laughs> the corpse did it. And you're like, what? I was with you to the very end. And then you snatched defeat from the jaws of victory once again in a very Gladwellian way. So he does a show where um, this guy... Um, who, well-intentioned, but just absolute clown, Phil Sokolov, strong arms, every food maker on earth to give up lots of things that at the time he felt were unhealthy. And so he has a heart attack and he's like, I want to change the world. I want to make it a better place. And so at the time, it's a time of real hysteria about saturated fat. Okay, because as you may not know, McDonald's fries, when they were delicious, in their most delicious form, were fried in beef tallow. Mm -hmm. You don't even know what that means now because there's been a war on saturated fat, which turns out to have been misguided in in ways. It turns out that vegetable oil, um, it's false that vegetable oil is healthier to to fry fries in a beef tallow, which, by the way, it's an inherently unhealthy product. It's not mm-hmm. going to be, it's not a celery stick. It is a French fry. <laughs> and so, you know, he, they, but at the end, uh, Gladwell says that, listen, uh, McDonald's destroys the French fry. They gave us something worse. Everything about it was a mistake. And if they had any balls, those are his words, <laughs> they would bring back beef tallow. Mm-hmm. Instead of Sokolov, who just used fake science, uh, something that sounded right to change radically mm-hmm. our eating habits as a nation mm-hmm. and actually for a much, uh, un, it's, it's, it was a much less healthy aspect. So I just had to get that off my chest. Consider and, and, and I'm looking forward to the time where uh, McDonald's fries are once again uh, fried in beef tallow. Loving, not loving. <laughs> this is something we love to do. And we talk about stuff we're reading, we're listening to, this and that. I'm going to throw a couple of things out at you yeah, guys, and then yeah. you can maybe tell me what you're digging, what you're not. Um, enjoyed Dunkirk. Thought it was a little maybe overhyped. Uh, I thought Saving Private Ryan was ten times the movie uh, that Dunkirk was. I actually enjoyed Fury more than Dunkirk, but that doesn't diminish the fact that I enjoyed Dunkirk. And uh, it's um, it's it's a bit assaultive, particularly sonically. It's yeah. just a mm. very difficult to listen to and it's intentionally done that way but um and maybe it would grow on me more if i uh if i and and you know that some of the other stories that were not told it's a short movie uh, which mm-hmm. more movies ain't short right. movies mm-hmm. um and it would have been i think so there were some untold stories at the beginning of the uh, of the film particularly and then the french uh really heroically holding off the germans while Britain is stuck on the beach. I think that that would be interest, an interesting uh, sequel or a prequel or whatever it was. Um, and then I've been enjoying 
one of my very guilty pleasures, Last Chance University on Netflix. It's, a East, uh, it's Eastern Mississippi, East Mississippi Community College. It's a college that, that focuses on very troubled athletes with, with, that are very talented that essentially need a second chance. And they've won national championships by putting people like Chad Kelly and DeAndre Johnson and, and lots of mm. people that are in the NFL yeah. and on, playing on, uh, on Division One teams together. I, I really do enjoy that. Second season is, is going on right now. Tommy and I are enjoying The Crown. Uh, I enjoyed, um, I'm revisiting two Glenn Campbell documentaries that mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed. I'll Be Me, the Alzheimer's-centric uh, his descent into Alzheimer's, which is actually pretty tough to watch, but heartwarming in some ways and, and a brave documentary, that's for sure. And then The Wrecking Crew, which is uh, his... Um, you you watched The Wrecking Crew, I right? did. Loved it. Yeah, the studio musicians in L.A. back in the 60s and 70s. So he, you know, he winds up being ostensibly or arguably kind of the American Beatle. He writes everything. He plays on everything. He plays on everything from... Uh, the Monkees albums to the Beach Boys, yeah, where he yeah, is mm-hmm. uh, per, uh, performs on almost every iconic song you can think of. Yeah, and and I remember a woman Carol Kane, I think was her name, who was the bassist, I believe, in that crew as well. So yeah, all of these largely unheralded musicians who uh, were essential to a lot of these uh, key hits back in the day. And also, I you know, with Glenn Campbell's death recently, I I had forgotten actually that he was integral to that as well. So Ozark, uh, watching that, hard to say I'm enjoying it because mm-hmm. it's Jason Bateman in a mm-hmm. very dark role, yeah. sort of uh, Breaking Bad for money laundering. It is. It's, it is like Breaking Bad, <laughs> yes. Yeah, similar themes. Not as Breaking, not as mm-hmm. bad, I think I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Paul, what, what are you loving, not loving? Yeah, I got a couple for you guys. First off, though, I want to appreciate the description of Dunkirk because I haven't seen it, but it has been talked about in the context of two of my favorite war movies of all time, which both came from, I think, 92-93, uh, Saving Private Ryan, which you which you shouted out, and The Thin Red Lion, Terrence Malick's war movie of the of the same year. Very different from from uh, Saving Private Ryan. So, But your, your reference to the loudness of Dunkirk, I think maybe I'm going to wait on that one mm-hmm. that's uh that 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 that, that is something that definitely uh, destroys a movie for me when it when it's to assault uh, an assault of soundtrack is not mm-hmm. something i'm loving <laughs> um but what i am loving is a couple of things i am binge watching the series showtime series called the leftovers based mm-hmm. on the tom parada novel yeah, yeah. and i'm Excellent. into the second season of that a really to my mind interesting allegory of loss mm-hmm. how people deal with grieving and loss uh the mystery the anger the grief the shame the fear the guilt that goes along with that and the layers thereunto mm-hmm. that get layered on with personal and collective loss so kind of digging that um and then a book i've got for you guys which has been very popular actually won the pulitzer prize you guys might have might have uh read it it's called the sympathizer by Nguyen, a vietnamese american guy story of a vietnamese south vietnamese fellow who plays a part on the south side during the Vietnamese War, mm. and uh, then uh, is, is actually a sympathizer for the North and and his uh, his kind of life there. So it's got spy movie element, is spy book elements to it. It's got war story elements to it. It's got Americana and the ethnic experience in America um, elements to it. Really, really well done. 
Excellent. Well, I'm going to start with the not loving just because we haven't done a lot of not loving. And I, I, I didn't think to do this until you mentioned a sports kind of touch in there. But I am not loving watching any football. They've started to do football. <laughs> and I know it's preseason and nobody is meant to love it. But you know what? I'm not sure I'm going to watch any football at all. The, the, it Wait, has a become, Wait a minute. It has become a sport that is just of very little to no appeal for me. And I've been Tell a, us why. Watcher. It's the... It's the concussions, honestly. I think it's it's honestly hard to watch it and not think about the, those guys' brains getting crushed. It literally is. And uh, I'm a soccer player and been watching soccer much more over the past years, but I've always kept my eye on some of the football games, and I, I'm not sure I'm going to watch a game this year. It's very... I'm not loving it. I don't know. That may change. We'll see how You're it goes. You're kind of sucking the fun out of football for I me. I apologize for that. You know, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch okay. on it again in future I'll, podcasts. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll probably get into it. But uh, I am loving or loved this uh, series called I'm Dying Up Here, and I, I recommend it to you highly, Jeff, as a stand a budding, perhaps, uh, aspirational stand-up comedian. Sure, sure. It's about the stand-up comedy scene in, in L.A. in the 70s. Um, really well done, very much a period piece, and um, it follows along with a bunch of young stand-up comics as they make their way from in the club scene, and they try to break into the bigger time, and really there's only one way to do that back in that era, which was to get on The Tonight Show, and you saw the competition, or the co-opetition in a way, their cooperation at the same time they're competing with each other in order to do that. Is it? Um, I, I was told that the bombing sequences are particularly jarring and, the, and when, compelling. When, yeah. When, is that why you were thinking so much of me? Is that, <laughs> I don't know. No. Um, that hurts. It, it, Yes and no. Yes and no. But uh, we have yet to see. I mean, I think it's part, part of the process. process. Is that what they it say? It is part of the process. You know, <laughs> with, 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 with great uh, glory comes great pain or vice versa, something like that. The book I'm into now about halfway through is called Exit West by Mosin Hamid. He's known for his book, The Reluctant Fundamentalist. I highly recommend it. It's about two. He's a Pakistani writer and he writes a, in this book about two young um denizens of a war-torn Middle Eastern country unnamed that end up being refugees. And it's about their relationship and their travails. Um, highly recommended. And I'll uh, maybe report back on it when I'm done with it, but really loving it at this point. That's a wrap, man. We're done. We are wrapped for the day. Hope you listeners have enjoyed the podcast for this week. We'll be back with you probably in the fall since uh, Labor Day is nigh. And I think the fall itself, the summer itself, is in its uh, dying weeks. Wow. So, yeah. Bit of a a bummer. But um, I don't know. Can we go outro on a... uh, on a Glenn Campbell, we've done Rhinestone Cowboys memory serves in the past, so we might have to go to something like uh, Galveston. Galveston, oh Galveston. Wow. Wow, that is good. glorious. That's oh, good. and wait a minute. Oh, I teased, bop, 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 bop. false teased, and then re-teased, <laughs> and then we'll re-tease right now. <laughs> yeah. We, I need to be able to kind of uh, explore. I need to get it off my chest because there's a lot of lies mm-hmm. and, and a lot of uh, a weirdness in Devil Went Down to Georgia. Yeah, okay. And so we're going to have to explore that together can, that, can, can you i mean you were in the depeche mode sure can you do a little bit of devil went down to georgia maybe even with a depeche wow. mode <laughs> vibe to it oh yeah uh, well oh, yeah. putting um, on the spot here devil went down to georgia he was looking for a soul to steal the, I, I don't know where the depeche mode <laughs> you, <was. laughs> you gotta do it in sort of a more like, let me let me think about you, it a little you bit. think about a that more, right? yeah love you guys love, love you guys love you guys All good right. to see you again <laughs>